Welcome to another episode of Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton. And on this episode, we got to talk about one of the season openers involving the AFC South. And more importantly, or more kind of a little tighter, bringing in a little bit more, talking about the Tennessee Titans taking on the New Orleans Saints down there in New Orleans. And I figured I'd bring someone on that has pretty extensive knowledge about New Orleans Saints and just can kind of bring us, you know, kind of into that team and what all is going on there. A guy that basically does everything. I mean, he's the hard and the paint CEO. I mean, he's the he works at WBLK. He's a media media personality there. I mean, he does everything. He works with MLB, bro. I mean, he's also my NABJ brother. That'd be Mr. David Grove. What's going on, man? Man, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. You know, and um, uh, just the 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 fact that the two of us are sitting here, all the stuff that we do. Um, it's just it's just a testament to the hard work that you've been putting in, and I'm I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, man. Yeah, man. Thank you, thank you again, man, for creating some time for me, man. I know you, you like you said, I'm busy. I know you're busy. We're <laughs> <laughs> sure. working on Jamaicans, bro. You know, if you if you don't have at least five jobs in this industry, it kind of feels like you're not doing enough. Yeah, yeah. I hear you there. I hear you there. Now, you know, of course, before we get started. Uh, I get into the matchup between the Saints and the Titans. And then talking about you as well, I do have to talk about my get off your chest segment, which, you know, the get off your chest segment is what I start every episode with. Basically talking about something that's either on my mind or that I want to talk about or talk about angrily. But this episode I want to talk about is Chris Jones. Now, you have some people that are on one side of the Chris Jones scenario saying, Man, he should go in and play. He should show up. He has an obligation to his team. Then you have the other people that are like, hey, you got to get his money. I'm in the opinion you got to get your money because here's the thing. Football is not guaranteed. NFL stands for not for long. You need to get those, get those guaranteed money before the time runs out on your career because one hit can take you out. I mean, it could possibly happen. I mean, I know modern medicine is better but you can still have one hit to take you out. So why not get your money now? He's in a position where he is the best defensive player for the Chiefs. He is one of the top defensive tackles in the NFL. He is one of the top defensive players in the NFL. Yet he is getting paid middle of the row when it comes to those top defensive players. So, I understand he's going to a last year of a deal. You don't want to go into the last year of your deal a lot of times and not have your money already lined up because a lot of times it means you're probably not going to see a deal with that team. And then all of a sudden, if you're in free agency and you're in your last year, what happens if you get hurt? You really don't see that money. So why not go get it now? So I understand Chris Jones' point. I agree with what he's doing. Sit down. Let them see you with let them let, let people see the defense without you. Now I get it that the Chiefs have other pros there. I understand that. But name me another person on that defense that makes as big an impact as Chris Jones. There's only there, there isn't really one. I mean, you can say you can try to say Bolton at the linebacker position, but you also got to remember who's the guy that keeps him clean that's up front. That would be Chris Jones. So Jones. Go ahead, chill out, get your money, make sure they line it up right so you can come on in there and play Superman for that team. You got anything you want to add to that, Grub? 
I am of the mindset, look, you should never get in another man's wallet. You know what I mean? Like what they have to do with their business is their business. And as you said, the NFL, the only professional league without guaranteed money, um, you know, as far as salaries go, we know you have to get your money now. You know, this is this is like J.G. Wentworth. You can't be waiting for your money later. Get it today. And you look up and you see Aaron Donald makes $32 million a year. You see uh, Joey Bosa is making $34 million a year. And the guarantees that they got, just hundreds of, of millions of guaranteed dollars for those players. If you're Chris Jones, and as you said, defensive tackle, for a team that was middle of the pack defensively, Last season, imagine where they are without him defensively. It's that you cannot force Patrick Mahomes to be in shootouts every week, as much as you may like it, and as much as it may be entertaining. That's not how you win in the NFL. You got to be able to make some stops. And look, we could go back to the Dallas Cowboys when Emmett Smith sat out two games, they wouldn't give him a new deal. He sat out the first two games, Cowboys lost the first two games. Week three, Emmett had a deal. Sometimes you got to show people your value. And so if I'm Chris Jones, like people can talk about what you owe your teammates or whatever, but ultimately this is his job. And his job is to protect himself as much as it is to contribute to the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, right. The people always talk about you have the, you know, the responsibility of your teammates, but hey, they don't go home with you. They don't put all the they don't they don't do all the different things you do to get ready to make that money. So, you know, you got to take care of yourself first like you said. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And then Chris Jones, get your bread, man. Get your bread. Do what you got to do. I ain't mad at you at all. But moving on, of course, you know, uh, you talked about the the multiple different things that we do in this industry. But I want to kind of get into you. How did you kind of get started in sports and getting interested in sports? Um, I was that kid that all the way back when you know as soon as we had any type of sports video games and things like that i was always thinking about telling the story while the game was being played like if i'm playing it was playing Tecmo bowl i was talking while i was playing i was telling what was going on um i used to keep stats in my notebook before the games would let you take stats because i was just that kind of person and of course i played sports um, basketball, baseball, a little bit of football, but mostly basketball. Um, and I was always around them and they were a bonding thing for me and my dad. I didn't know I wanted a career in sports though, until, um, I got to college and, you know, I started off as a business major and I was just wrong. You know, you're trying to do the things that you think, you know, your people will be proud of. And that just wasn't me. And, um, I kind of accidentally fell into, um, working in communications, you know, and, and changing my major to communications and found out, man, I can do this. And I like this running my mouth, talking about stuff that I'm passionate about. And, and I always wanted to do more than just scores. So storytelling and sports, those things kind of just drew me into it. And then I just started adding all the other little bits. I was a referee for intramurals for every sport that we had. So I knew the rules, you know, I knew and I understood the game that way. I hung around with athletes and, and talked to them a lot, the guys on our teams at, on campus. And then when I got out of school, I started in television, quickly learned that television wasn't my thing because the time, you know, you get three minutes, four minutes in a, in a local broadcast. 
And when the weather comes on or if there's something going on, that's 30 seconds they take from you. If there's something breaking news, that's another 15 seconds they take from you. And I, I hated working all day on my sportscast and having to cut up like that. So I kind of got out of it for a while, did public relations and things like that. And then um, around 2013, I started working for uh, Southern University at New Orleans as their communications director. Fell back into they needed an SID. They didn't have an SID. I became the SID. And I started writing stories again, hanging out with the teams. And that love came back. And I said, I'd rather do this than TV. And opportunities just started coming my way. People asked me to write for a local website. Started covering the Saints and LSU during that. Um, Ro Brown, who was the godfather of, of black sports in New Orleans, asked me to start doing radio. And those things just started to build up. And I realized, man, I could I could make a living doing this. And um, about six years ago, I really fully committed to making my career in sports broadcasting. So now between radio, television, um, writing, websites, podcasting, and even design, I think I don't know if there's a job in sports media that I haven't done now. Okay. Now I didn't mention one thing that you do as well, and that's believe in saints. You know, you do that as well. I forgot to mention that. You know, of course, <laughs> I don't want Terrence Copper to come off the top row at me, man. But you know, I know y'all, uh, y'all definitely tear it up on there and break it down. And I, I truly enjoy listening to that show and the banter going back and forth, talking about the saints as well. But you know, of course, you have been talking about the saints for a while, so. I have to ask, you know, what are uh, some of the best moments you had in terms of either watching the team or talking about the team uh, that, that, you know, over the time you've, you've been talking about them or covering them? I As a kid, you know, we moved to New Orleans in 1979. In 1980, the Saints went 1-15. and And my dad got season tickets in 1981. So they were really bad when we, when we, when we got – um, involved with the Saints, but watching Ricky Jackson and the Dawn Patrol as a kid, that was my formative real experience with wanting to understand football. Before it was just something you watched, you know, you're a kid, you just, you watch it because it's the sport. I didn't really want to understand it any more than I just want to be entertained by it. But it was something about the Dawn Patrol and the way that they played and particularly Ricky, like I'm one of those Saints fans, there's a divide. And when people talk about who the two greatest Saints are, it's either Drew Brees or Ricky Jackson. I'm on the Ricky Jackson <laughs> camp. And I think he's the most the, the most important homegrown player the franchise has ever had. And when they made the playoffs in 1987, you know, they didn't win. They lost to the Minnesota Vikings in the wild card, got thumped 44 to 10. But them making it when my whole life, the Saints were the last team in the NFL at the time to make the playoffs. They were the only team left in the NFL who had not made the playoffs. And for them to do it in 87 as a fan, that was my biggest thing. That's bigger to me even than the Super Bowl. Um, and I got the Super Bowl newspaper hanging right over my shoulder from when they won the Super Bowl. But I think covering the team, certainly nothing is bigger than that run to the Super Bowl championship. And then beating Peyton Manning, of all people, you know, a native New Orleanian, the, the, God, the God of New Orleans quarterbacks uh, to beat Peyton in the Super Bowl as a on the media side, that's the biggest. 
I can never forget Tracy Porter picking off that pass and running the Another back. hometown awesome. guy, too, in Tracy Porter from right across the river, you know, in Baton Rouge. And then, you know, for him, yeah, it just – it was – the symmetry of that is just amazing. Definitely, definitely. Now, I got to ask, you know, we talked about the best, but what was one of the lowest moments as a, as a you know, being basically covering the Saints and talking about the Saints? It, it's it's – always going to be the the nola no call you know that's going to be the one that lives with people um until they get to another super bowl you know that was the last best chance people have to remember since the saints won a super bowl they've only been to one nfc championship game and that was it at home against the rams to have that opportunity and then to, to lose the way that they did first on the passive interference that wasn't called and then throw an interception in overtime you know, you, you don't get a lot of opportunities in the NFL or in any sports league to play for a championship. And uh, Saints fans will never, ever get over that one because they feel it was stolen from them. Yeah, definitely a lot of, uh, I would say, I say, inopportune or just interesting moments that have happened in Saints history, especially in recent Saints history. Um, we're going to get to this <laughs> to the Saints as they come into their current match. Opening this 2023 season against the Tennessee Titans. We're going to talk about that and more when we come back after these commercial breaks. A shift. A shift is something that happens and changes the dynamics. And that's what happened when Garrett Logistics was born. After 10 years as a sales pro in the logistics world of sporting goods, John Garrett decided to pivot to the world of freight and start a brokerage. So you're saying to yourself, why trust Garrett Logistics. Well, Garrett Logistics helps shippers improve overall workflow along with increased on-time pickup and delivery percentages. Last-minute loads, multi-drop pickups, and more are part of the services with Garrett Logistics. They're available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. All times Central Standard Time. So give them a ring at 615-400-8484. That's 615 615- Four zero zero eight four eight four, or you can email them at john at garrettlogistics.co or visit their website at garrettlogistics.co. Garrett Logistics, where the motto is, it's not just free to us, it's your business. All right, and we are back. And like I mentioned before the commercial break, we got to get into the season opener for the Saints and the Titans. Of course, the Titans are traveling down to New Orleans to take on the Saints in the Superdome. Man, it's going to be rocking. I already know. But, you know, one thing I have to ask, of course, it's it's going to be, it's going to be rocking, but there's going to be a lot of energy for one particular gentleman that's going to be starting his first game as a New Orleans Saints quarterback. That'd be Mr. Derek Carr. Now, Derek Carr has had an interesting career. He's been pretty good. He's been good. He's been passed over, looked over, all those different things. Then he became, you know, somebody that was sought after when the Las Vegas Raiders decided they wanted to move forward in a different direction. So in comes the Saints, Dennis Allen, Derek Carr together again. So what did you think when that happened and those two got together again, but this time in New Orleans? Let's just say I'm I still need to be won over. Um, because look, quite frankly, Dennis Allen's been a head coach. This is his fifth season 
in his four previous seasons, he's never had a winning record. The most wins he's had in any season was last year with seven. So, mm. you know, I'm not sold on Dennis Allen. Number two, I'm not sold on the offense coordinator, Pete Carmichael, who last year called the plays and, and called a lot of the plays the previous year in Sean Payton's last season. And we saw two of the Saints' worst offensive seasons in recent memory. Uh, and then, of course, as you said, with Derek Carr, Derek Carr's not a bad quarterback, but he's had some very bad years. He's had some negative years. Um, and then you look at him, he's a guy who needs good situations. When things are very good around him, he has done very well. When things get tough, he struggles. And the Saints have questions in a couple of places in particular that will impact him. The offensive line is not um, settled. It has talent, but it's not settled. There are a lot of guys who have been injured over the last couple of years, and you have a rookie taking over at left tackle. So there's questions there. And then certainly you look at this has not been a team that's run the ball particularly well the last two years. And Derek Carr is going to need a solid running game to give him that type of protection um, to utilize play action passes, to create opportunities downfield with these Saints receivers like a Chris Olave who came into his own as a rookie and then the return of Michael Thomas. So I think there's still a lot of prove it with this offense. There certainly is talent on it, but we have not seen enough. We saw one drive of the starting offense, and they did score a touchdown against the Kansas City Chiefs. But one drive in the preseason does not an offense make. That is true. That is true. Now, making this offense, you know, that's something that's interesting as well. You bring in uh, – Jamal Williams from the new, uh, excuse me, the Detroit Lions to bring, you know, a little bit more toughness to the running game. And then you also, you know, you're, you're seeing him being a compliment to Alvin Kamara, but now Alvin Kamara is out for a few games to start the season. How does that impact the kind of things that the offense maybe have had in mind going into this season? Well, you know, they draft a rookie uh, running back and, they like they like him a lot. He, he's very similar in some ways to, the, to Alvin Kamara in the way they, they'd like to use him. But you're right. There is only a healthy Alvin Kamara. The only other back that we see that has the similar level of versatility is Christian McCaffrey. They're the only two who do what they do when they're fully healthy. And before the last two seasons, Alvin Kamara was the league's best touchdown machine um, as far as coming out of the backfield. He has not been able to do that the last couple of years. And as you said, he's going to be gone the first three games due to that suspension for his fight in, in Las Vegas at the Pro Bowl a couple of years ago, um, well, a year ago. And uh, so now we look at this running uh, this backfield again with that offensive line, again with the quarterback that they have not gotten a ton of reps with. I think it's going to take some time for them to develop rhythm. So I think it's very important uh, that the Saints be patient offensively uh, these first few weeks while they adjust. And we saw last year across the NFL – it took about a month for a lot of teams to get their offenses going because the preseason has changed so much and the structure has changed so much that I think it does take veterans a while to get going. And this is an offense that has a lot of new faces. Definitely does. And speaking of new faces, they're going to be looking at some uh, faces they, they don't know, normally see. However, they're going to be some very intimidating faces in Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry in that, Tennessee Titans, you know, line and outside linebacker crew. Now, I've seen them and I've watched them. I've been out there to a few practices. 
they're probably going to be one of the deepest defensive line, outside linebacker crews probably in the NFL this year. They can probably go eight deep in the front. What kind of challenge does that pose to the Saints offensive line? Of course, that has been a sore spot for the last, you know, couple of years. Well, the big thing, number one, is that the Saints have to establish some kind of running game. And you look at Tennessee last year, only gave up 80 yards or more to a team five times all year. Even at a down year defensively, they were still very stout against the run. Last year, the Saints were 22nd in total yards and I believe 19th in uh, yards per attempt. So the Saints are, had not been an effective running team. And so you put that, take away the big play, play capability of Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, much more of a battering ram type back who's going to give you that four or five yards rather than those 25-yard big plays it becomes much more of a challenge. So now you put the Saints, if the Saints find themselves behind the sticks on first and second down and you get into those third and long situations, Andrews Pete has been a guy on that offensive line who we've seen the last two years, the hit on Jameis Winston in week one that got his back hurt, that was an Andrews Pete give up. Two years mm-hmm. ago when Drew Brees went down and Teddy Bridgewater had to come in, that was Andrews Pete who gave up that hit. So, you know, if you're going to bring pressure with the Saints, it's been we've seen that they've not been able to to protect the quarterback. They've gone through six different quarterbacks over the last two seasons due to various reasons. That's I think that's a big concern for the Saints up front. So setting a tone early physically, that's what this is going to be a test of, because, you know, Tennessee wants to establish themselves physically as the more dominant team. The Saints have not been that. Even with the consistency that they've had defensively last year, you wouldn't say that they were physically dominant. And I think that's a big test for them on both sides of the ball in this game. And I think that's what, with the schedule that they have being as light as it is, there's not going to be a more physical team in the first two months that the Saints are going to face, probably more so than Tennessee. Now, Tennessee got even more physical at the linebacker position. They added Aziz Alshire from the uh, – from the uh, San Francisco 49ers. That was a huge grab for them. Of course, he, he couldn't get on the field as much as he wanted to. He's behind Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw out in San Francisco. And those are both all pro caliber players. Uh, he comes to a the Tennessee Titans team that needs a linebacker. David Long Jr. left, went to Miami. In comes uh, Al Shire. Uh, but, you know, for as good as Al Shire is, the linebacker, him and the inside linebacker, is going to be a guy that maybe the Saints pick on a little bit. His name is Jack Gibbons. Now, they call him Dr. Jack, but in my opinion, he he's not a guy. He's a guy that can diagnose things and figure out things, stuff like that. But when it comes to covering tight ends or doing anything like that, he kind of lacks just a little bit. That's where I think Monty Rice is going to be very, very handy. Uh, but – you know, Juwan Johnson at tight end for the Saints, of course, is pretty talented. And a lot of people are expecting him to do big things this year. Of course, you do have Taysom Hill there as well, who is the human utility knife. But, uh, you know, what do you think about potentially using that as an, an advantage and trying to get Juwan Johnson matched up potentially on Jack Gibbons in the passing game? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a number of two tight end sets for the Saints. Um, in this game, single back, two tight end, you know, um, where they can get both not only Juwan Johnson, but also get um, uh, Foster Moreau, 
who is very, very familiar with Derek Carr, played with him in, in, in Oakland before they moved to Las Vegas as well. Uh, and they, they really like him physically. Juwan, much more of a talent. And then they kept Jimmy Graham for the red zone. So you look at, at the Saints tight end group, they're very excited about their offensive capabilities. The question is going to be, can they block? Juwan is a mismatch for anybody. He's a former receiver. Um, it's going to be, it's going to really depend on how he and Derek Carr's relationship uh, matures because he had a great one with Jameis Winston um, and even found some success with Andy Dalton at the end of last season. Um, the big thing is going to be, I think that's where the Saints in this type of game, how they utilize the middle and Michael Thomas again, because we know Mike Thomas coming across the middle, you know, he got the, earned the reputation as slant boy under Drew Brees, but that's more than what he is, but, but he is an exceptionally physical receiver and he's able to utilize the middle as well. So I think, you know, for Derek Carr, we know that teams like to pressure him up the middle to force him to react. Where do the Saints utilize their receivers and create those opportunities for him when those spots are vacated? I think that's that's that is a place to watch on Sunday. Now I couldn't get away from talking Saints offense versus Titans defense without talking about the matchups, the secondary matchups here. I mean, look at the matchup: you Christian Fulton, who uh, of course LSU, versus potentially either Chris Olave or Michael Thomas. On the other side, you have Sean Murphy Bunning versus either Alave or Thomas. Now, I like these matchups because they're both athletic guys. You can put Alave versus Fulton, and that could be a pretty, you know, quick on quick matchup. Then you have Murphy Bunning versus Michael Thomas, and that's a you know bigger, you know, kind of more physical guys versus each other. I mean, what do you think of those match? What do you think we're going to see out of those matchups in the secondary come Sunday? Well, I think the bigger, the biggest question for Saints fans is Michael Thomas. Um, we saw him run a few routes and catch a few balls during the preseason, but this is a guy who's missed, you know, essentially two plus years of his career recovering from injury. Uh, so, what is he? I don't think we're ever going to see um, 140 catch Michael Thomas again. Uh, but can he be a 75 catch guy for this team? Give you near a thousand yards, five to seven touchdowns. That's the big question mark, because if you don't have somebody opposite Chris Olave, then it's the same situation that we had when Michael Thomas was in his prime, is that he was doing such good things on one side, but you couldn't get that. We never had a consistent second receiver opposite him. Now it feels like for the first time the Saints have three legitimate receivers, because you also have to remember Rashid Shahid, who led the NFL in yards per catch last year and had some huge plays and could take the top off of a defense. And then A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest as a rookie who made the team as a six-round pick and had some huge catches during the preseason as well. This may be the deepest Saints receiver group we've had in years uh, in New Orleans, but we've not seen any of these guys together other than one drive. And I, I do think that that takes time. How do you get that consistent rhythm? Who does Derek Carr look to when he's stressed? Because we know how quarterbacks are. They find their favorite targets. He hasn't established any of those things yet. So I think that, the you know, there's certainly uh, – you always say the offense has the advantage because they know where they're going when the plays are called. But there's still no rhythm here. And as you said, Christian Fulton is not only just an athletic guy, but he's so long at that corner spot. He's, he gives you speed, athleticism, and length. And he can, he can be a disruptive, disruptive force there. Uh, so, yeah, this is a challenge for the Saints at every level. I, I really just 
I don't know where there's a, a significant advantage, I'd say, for either team in this game because you can find things that, that one does well that the other counteracts, but there's also a weakness too. Um, so I, I just really like these matchups from top to bottom. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't even mention, of course, I didn't mention Kevin Byard, all-pro safety. He's still back there, folks. He still can make plays. And it's going to be interesting to see how things go there with uh, him and, of course, the you know the contract situation, which is kind of behind him now. But, of course, it's going to be thought about again when the offseason comes around. Now, we are going to switch it over and going to talk a little bit defense and, of course, Titans, uh, uh, Titans offense. But going to take a quick commercial break when we come back that's going to be fun talk about a little derrick henry versus the saints defense on torn afc south with your host mike bad you ever missed your mom's home-cooked meals well you're not always able to get to those but you are able to get to hnt's home cooking established in 2005 patty Poland and her staff go out six days a week to create some of the best home style meals you can taste and at a fair price so if you're in Nashville and you like chicken and dressings, green beans, macaroni and cheese, and other things, stop by HT's Home Cooking. Their address is 2264 Murphy's Pike, Nashville, Tennessee, 37217. And they are open Monday through Thursday and Sunday, 11 to 6, 30, and Friday, 11 to 7. And if you want to order online, of course, the option is available as well at hthomecooking.com or you can call 615-367-0049 HT's Home Cooking food for yourself alright and we are back and as I mentioned before we went to commercial break Derrick Henry goes to Norris now this is going to be an interesting thing for me because the Titans are four of their five offensive linemen this year are brand new. And their starting center, the guy that was back from last year, wasn't even playing center last year. He was playing guard. So this will be an interesting thing to watch as this offensive line kind of tries to get it together. Uh, and, you know, you see what they can become while they're blocking for one of the most indestructible forces ever to run the football. On the flip side of that, you have Cameron Jordan on the other side, and you have the New Orleans Saints front, who was pretty stiff against the run towards the end of the year. Wasn't necessarily at the beginning, but, you know, kind of made up a few things as the year went on. So are they up for the challenge, or do they have the pieces to kind of slow down Derrick Henry this year? I'm not sure. You know, this, this defensive line has been remade as well. Um, most of the Saints who were on that defensive line are now playing in three places. Uh, they either went to Minnesota, Atlanta, <laughs> it seemed like, or, you know, I mean, most of them, are, they're gone. So it's a very young and inexperienced defensive line around Cam Jordan for the most part. You know, they spent their number one pick on Brian Breesey, who's going to, who's, who's brought in to be a pass rusher at defensive tackle, not really a run stopper. Um, you get to the linebackers, Pete Warner is an undersized linebacker, but a great tackler, but also a guy who's gotten injured a lot. Demario Davis, as good as he's been, and he's probably been one of the, the top four or five inside linebackers in the NFL over the last three seasons. He's again, he's getting old in the, and long in the tooth there. So, you know, the Saints brought in Kalen, uh, Jalen Smith, 
who was the leading tackler for the Giants last season, but he's starting a year on the practice squad. So you, you wonder about the linebacking core and the experience there. The the safeties, as far as as their assistance in run uh, run defense, Teron Matthew, over the age of 30, not the biggest guy, um, are his best. He didn't have a great season last year, so you wonder if his best days are behind him. And Marcus May did not have the kind of impact that the Saints expected with him coming from the Jets. So I think the Thievens has something to prove. And as you said, last year, the numbers occasionally were really good defensively as far as stopping the run. But this was a team that struggled to get off the field on third downs. Uh, you saw Cordero Patterson just run right through them in week one. You saw guys who were lesser backs dominate the Saints defense at times throughout the regular season. And then even um, you know down the stretch, Carolina it was a, if Carolina had a quarterback, they probably would have, would have beaten the Saints at the end of the season as well. So it's just, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if they can stop the run. I, I'm really not. And, and that's the big question for this team is can they be physical enough up front? Cam Jordan is an outstanding for all the sacks in his career. And he's the Saints all time leading sack sacker. And he's going to go into the Hall of Fame as a pass rusher. He is as good a run defender as he is a pass rusher. But outside of that, I don't know how many guys that you would say are proven along this defensive line. And to me, it ain't it ain't just about Derrick Henry, who is going to get a reprieve from having to carry 350 times a year because you had Tajay Spears now who can give you 10 to 12 carries, do the same stuff up the middle, and get outside as well. I'm really concerned that, about the Saints' ability because if you put, you know, you can switch them up and either one of them can give you a big carry. And the crazy thing is, you know, I've seen a few things at camp and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you particularly see both gentlemen. I wouldn't either. <laughs> Somehow, some way. Or they figure out some way to get them both on the field. Derrick Henry's used to that. He did it at Bama. He did it with two backs at Bama before on occasion. He wasn't the only guy back there. And I think you, you put that. Tajay can line up at halfback and you could put Derrick Henry at fullback or you could put him side by side next to your quarterback. And do you want to pick the wrong option? <laughs> oh boy it's going to be interesting just to see the different things that Tim is able to do with the offensive pieces that he has but um what other offensive piece that nobody really talks about quite as much Chega Quanco now you mentioned uh Shahidi as, as the wide receiver that you know yards per catch now Quanco at tight end was one of the tops in yards per catch as tight end and I mean he only had like uh what 30 some odd catches but he had like 340 yards receiving. I mean, it was pretty amazing to look at and watch. But if he got more opportunities, probably would have had way more yards. But uh, the thing with me is I'm wondering how the Saints are going to be able to match up with him. Because the thing is, you have to account for him in many different places. He can line up a tight end, H-back, flex him out, anywhere he can be on the field at one point in time just because – He's just a matchup nightmare. So, you know, while the Saints are trying to get ready for a Traylon Burks, uh, a DeAndre Hopkins, uh, a Derrick Henry, you still have to account for a Quanco. So are the safeties prepared to have to deal with that guy moving around all over the place? Like I said, I, 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 that's the question for me. I, you know, I, I, I think fans are higher on the defense than I am because I do worry about their age, their range, and, and their ability to tackle. When the Saints struggled at the beginning of last season, Tyron Matthew missed a lot of tackles. You know, and, and we're talking about a dude, we know the smaller safeties in this league, the historically, have a short shelf life. 
whether it's Bob Sanders, whether we talk about, you know, whatever those guys are, the smaller safeties, at some point, your ability to make plays is diminished because of your size. Your body just can't do what it used to. And we didn't see the disruptive Teron Matthew last year. So, and coverage has never really been his thing. You know, he's much more of a freelancer who reads plays and does what he needs to do. Marcus May did again, did not impress last year. So I think there's a lot of pressure on this defense to be what it has been. I don't know if this is top five defense anymore for the Saints. I didn't see that in the preseason, and, and, and you don't really get that opportunity. I don't know how they're going to generate a pass rush. You don't have proven pass rushers outside of Cam Jordan. So that certainly allows for plays to develop. And then you talk about the threat that you have a running with the running game. That means play action will be available. And Ryan Tannehill, though he is not the fastest quarterback, he is still a mobile quarterback. And the Saints historically, over the last five to six years, have struggled with quarterbacks who could extend plays outside of the pocket. So I think that there are a lot of challenges here for this defense, and I don't know what those answers are because the only person that I know for certain that's going to show up on Sunday is Cam Jordan. Even Marshawn Lattimore has had his struggles against big-name receivers because he's one of those guys that I think his ego writes checks that his butt's, butt can't cash at times. And DeAndre Hopkins, the last two games that he's played against the Saints, averages nine catches, 100-plus yards, and a touchdown. So he's had success against Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot for this Saints defense to deal with. This will not be a walk in the park. Definitely going to be interesting. And you brought up the matchups defensively. I, I think of one of the matchups that I'm looking forward to or are interested in seeing is how they kind of match up with Traylon Burks. Because, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is probably going to draw Lattimore. Yeah, that means Burks is going to be on the opposite side. And I wonder – you know, Burks is probably going to be a, an SEC on SEC matchup because uh, uh, the cornerback from Tennessee—I cannot his name escapes me right now. They moved Alante uh, on the inside now. Are they moved him inside now? Alante is yeah, see that wow. too. Alante is starting at the slot, and wow. there are you know there's a lot of concern for fans who believe you know Saints let Bradley Roby go for nothing, and they're putting Alante in at the slot. And he played really well on the outside last year as a rookie. I felt like he had earned that, that opposite side. But Dennis Allen decided to move him inside. And he does not have a ton of experience in that slot. So you talked about your tight end matchup. You talk about getting people into space. You have a guy who's inexperienced in that slot. And then on the outside now, you're going to have more pressure for Marcus May to help out over the top. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure fantasy owners are probably salivating if they do have uh, Traylon Burks at this point. But, well, you know, my boy Corey Jackson in, in the uh, tour in the AFC South inbox, Burks is going to eat, okay? <laughs> he's, he's, he's definitely very, very confident about Mr. Traylon Burks. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting just to see the different matchups, the different ways that teams are going to be able to put stress on each other in this game. Uh, for the Saints to win this game, what do they have to do defensively? It all starts and ends with stopping the run. If the Saints cannot win first down in particular, they're going to be in trouble. And then I think the X factor is the kicking game. The Saints have a rookie field goal kicker, and they have a brand-new punter. So last season, a lot of games. Last two seasons, the Saints lost a number of games because of the kicking game. So I think that's the X factor because the kicking is part of your defense – 
So if we have some shanked punts, if you have some some uh, missed field goals, if you have those types of problems uh, in a game that I think is going to be a tight game uh, for the most part, somebody may pull away at the end, but I think in early going, this is going to be very much a fist fight. Those types of things will, will be big, but ultimately it starts and ends for the Saints at stopping the run. Now you mentioned the kicking game. It wasn't too solid for the Titans until they picked up Nick Folk from the uh, Patriots via trade. So, you know, I can definitely understand your concerns there when it comes to the kicking game. Now, offensively, for the Saints to win this game, what must they do just to win this game? No turnovers, limited penalties. You know, the biggest concern when you have a new offensive line, and and I'm sure you'd say the same thing for the Titans, when you have that new line, we know one penalty on a drive historically means you're probably not getting points. Just one penalty on a drive. It, it reduces your chance of scoring on that drive by like 70%. So whoever whoever's offensive line can, can keep a clean sheet and keep their quarterback upright, because I think both teams are going to have their opportunities to get at the passer. Um, for Derek Carr, we know if he's under pressure, he makes tough decisions. The last time he played against the same Titans team last season, 44 attempts, not a lot of yards, though. A lot of dink and dunk for him. So he was not given time to go downfield. If he's put in that position where he has to throw 40-plus passes against the Titans on Sunday, then I don't like the Saints' chances. I want to see a balanced attack, and that means that the line is doing its job and it's keeping it, keeping it, uh, Derek Carr clean. We'll definitely see what happens. It's going to be an interesting one down in New Orleans. The Saints, the Titans, boy, oh, boy. It's going to be rocking in the dome. I know it's going to be deafening. I've got to experience one of those games down there. i got to and come look, down in one time. Look, man, the Saints, the situation for them is set up to where we're talking about they have the only experienced quarterback in the division because Baker Mayfield, Desmond uh, Ritter, um, and Bryce Young, not, not all those guys are making their first starts for their teams, but at least Derek Carr – has a, a history in this league. You got a lot of new players coming around this thing. The Saints have a schedule where they're not going to face another quality quarterback until November. So for them, the pressure is huge, and it starts with this game. They haven't had a home opener in three years either. You know, the first game of the season at home. Last time they were supposed to have one, it ended up being in Jacksonville because of the hurricane, and they ended up playing the Packers. So I think that there's a fan base in New Orleans that – A, is still kind of skeptical of Dennis Allen. There's still folks who are skeptical of Derek Carr. There's still folks who are skeptical of this offense. And they're going to be loud to start. But the folks who know the Superdome, too, if if it goes left, they'll be loud with their disapproval. Well, boy, oh, boy, I would say again, Mr. Corey Jackson is very confident in the Titans. He said we're coming to the N.O. with our luggage, and it's Louie. Word to Deion Sanders. (laughs) And he did say Titans by 10. That's what he, he he he's he's predicting Titans by 10 to start off. So hey, you know, he gave me the gave me the prime time and he gave me the prediction as well. So hey, shout out to my boy Corey Jackson, man. Now, of course, we have reached the end of the show, but we haven't, you know, quite reached the end end of the show. There is a game. There's five questions, two answers, and one choice. David Grubb, are you ready? I'm always ready. All right, all right. Now I'm going to ask you this one. Of course, this is a New Orleans Saints throwback question. Aaron Brooks or Jeff Blake? Which quarterback would you take if you had to take one of them to win the game? I'm still taking Brooks. 
I'm still taking Brooks. I, I think he has gotten slandered uh, so badly in his post-Saints career because of the way it ended. But if you saw Aaron Brooks throw the football at his best, arm talent was unbelievable. He could make all – now, Jeff Blake may throw the greatest deep ball, the, most pr- the prettiest deep ball I ever saw, but Aaron Brooks was the more talented quarterback. I still like A.B. Yeah, he definitely uh, – you know, I definitely thought he was very, very talented. And I definitely – Thought he could throw the ball very, very well. I, I never understood what happened after New Orleans. It's I got to see, I got to see him at UVA when he had the Barber brothers were there and all that. I saw that team, and I watched Aaron Brooks throw some some balls that just were just insane. Yeah, I can only imagine. Okay, we're going to go. No limit. Mm-hmm. We got two songs from No Limit. We got about it, about it, or we got No Limit Soldiers. You got to pick one. Which one you take? Oh, you're taking No Limit Soldier. Now, Bout About It, <laughs> Bout About It sets off a is a tone setter, but you put that No Limit Soldier on, it's, 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 it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to go uh, a little bit of Cash Money. I'm going to go uh, Lil Wayne. We're going to go the Carter Three album. A Millie or Let the Beat Build. Which song are you taking? I'm taking A Millie because of the dexterity. The lack just to go through it that way, and the the fact that he did that completely off his dome too. That's that's one of the records that you cannot duplicate. You know, say so you could try, but you can't do that. That's a moment record, and I think that's why it's gonna last. Okay, all right, all right. I'm gonna go Saints wide receivers. I'm gonna go Joe Horn or Marcus Colston. Which one was one of your which which one are you picking if you need a game to win? Which one are you picking? Man, you gotta go, Joe. You gotta go, Joe. Joe Marcus Colston is an under is clearly underrated receiver. Never made a Pro Bowl in his career, but did everything right. But if you're talking about the ability to change a game with one play, that's Joe Horn. Joe Horn was, you know, we got when the Saints got him from the Chiefs. He was their fourth receiver, and he made three Pro Bowls, I believe, with the Saints. It was just dominant, you know, as either, you know, in in the field to play or going deep. And then, of course, the personality of Joe Horn made him a legend, too. So, um, And there are some stories about Joe Horn that I can't say on this show, but I'll tell you some other time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And last one, New Orleans, you got to know these. Beignet? Or po' boys. Which one are you going to first? You going to the beignet or the po' boy? Po' boy. You can get a donut anywhere. Beignet's a fried donut, baby. You know, I I get that anywhere. A good po' boy, the right one. Come on, man. There's that. That's life. You know what I'm saying? Like the po' boy wrapped in paper with a barks and some chips. I'm done. <laughs> Man, I look. Give me, give me a shrimp po' boy, man. I mean, I'll, I'll look. I'll be probably be sleep somewhere and <laughs> taking a nap after eating that. Hey, a good <laughs> shrimp po' boy, roast beef with the gravy. Man, come on, there's this, this just too many options. <laughs> and the right, it's got to be the right French bread. It has to be the right French French bread. 
All right, all right, man. Got me ready to take a trip to New Orleans right now. But <laughs> of course, I can't take one. But you, you are off the hot seats. Five questions, two answers, and one choice. We have reached the end end of the show. I want to thank you, David Grubb, for coming on the show, giving us the knowledge of the New Orleans Saints as they take on the Tennessee Titans. And I want to give the floor to you. Tell everyone what you're working on, where they can find you on social media. Go ahead, floor is yours, man. Okay, I'm going to try to be quick. Um, (laughs) uh, You can catch me four days a week on WBOK, 1230 a.m. in New Orleans, doing the sports report from 4 to 7 p.m. You can check me on my my podcast, Hard to Paint, as well as The Bird Calls, which is the official podcast of the New Orleans Pelicans. I also do uh, audio uh, play-by-play for the St. Augustine High School football team and color commentary for the Tulane University men's basketball team, which will be starting up again soon. So and um my weekly column and every week for MLB Bro on Mondays and on Fridays we we have the uh, MLB Bro podcast mixtape. So uh that's that's most of everything. There's probably some things I'm forgetting, but uh that's where you can find me, of course. And then on X at DM Grub. All right. You know, I call it the artist formerly known as Twitter at this point. But uh <laughs> <laughs> or or a new one is Twix. Some people are calling it Twix. I like that. I, I like that. <laughs> so, you know, you can find me on Twix or the artist formerly known as as Twitter at Mike Patton 82. That's M-I-K-E-P-A-T-T-A-O-N-82. You can also find Torn AAC South on Spotify. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Hello, everybody. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find Torn AAC South. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And we're out. Peace.